Romans chapter 15, verses 25 through 29 will be our text this morning. I invite you to take your text and open up to the scriptures as we continue on in our series. Welcome, good morning to every single one of you. I have to admit, I was pretty impressed this morning. Holy, holy, holy tops everything. Okay, that's the most impressive. But I was pretty impressed with Pastor Stewart texting Pastor Aaron in the midst of announcements. And I got to thinking, like, don't ever get that in your mind, okay? Like, don't ever think for a moment, hey, he's up there, we can text. Just let me assure you, my technology will not support that under any circumstance. I was giving the young guys a little bit of a hard time. I'm like, hey, the iPads are a great idea. What happens when your battery dies? Then what? thinking that I got him, and he's like, Pastor Jim, what happens when the lights go off, and you can't read your notes in front of you? You know, I am just so thankful to be surrounded by young, sharp minds that keep me in line. We are blessed as a church, and it has been already, my heart has just been uplifted in our time of worship together. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we dive into our text this morning? Let's pray. Father, we are just so grateful. Another few moments that you have in your sovereign plan in our lives carved out for us to be together, to lift up our voices with a focus on you, to take the the craziness of the world and and to allow a, a quietness, a safe spot to hear from you to be strengthened and nourished and encouraged, but most importantly, to get a a clearer view of you, to understand who you are in your majestic greatness. Father, we're humbled that you um, have allowed us this time, and so we ask that we would steward well these few moments. Take some of the 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 noise and the distractions of the week past or the week to come and help us, Lord, together as a body to strive to be obedient and faithful and effective. May your Holy Spirit work in our lives. And I, I pray, Lord, specifically right now, I think of just individuals who I know there is a sense of heaviness on their soul. I pray, Lord, that you would minister encourage and strengthen and comfort those who are in need. Father, we love you and we just pray for guidance. I, I ask us for help. Just guide my, my words. May everything be for your glory. We ask this in the amazing, matchless name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. Okay, we have been in this journey here, Romans chapter 15. We've carefully considered, we've looked at the fact that gospel is going global. Specifically, we have looked at how the Lord has greatly used the Apostle Paul. And and it says in verse 20, to go not where Christ has already been named. So we've seen Paul from planting churches in each major city and using that church as a base, in a sense, as a launching place for the next church. We've seen him go from the Eastern Med to the Western Med. From planting churches to making disciples, Paul has been obedient. 
He's given to us a great example. He's been obedient in fulfilling the Great Commission. And we've been learning from him, Lord willing. But we've also learned it's not this, this cold, analytic approach to ministry. It's not, it's not a church without seeing the individual. Through this time, we have, we have witnessed relationships have been built and established. They've prayed together. They've sang songs together. They celebrated the Lord's table, broke bread, eaten meals together. They've laughed and they've cried. They've gone through trials and tough times. They've lived life together, building up one another, encouraging, admonishing, and loving. All the while, we have been... But seeing the light of the gospel going into dark areas. The light of the gospel going into dark areas. Isn't, isn't that our job? To take the gospel just, just anywhere and everywhere. Eckerd Schnabel. I love saying his name and I checked the pronunciation. Eckerd Schnabel wrote two 1,000-page volumes on early Christian mission. He wrote a 500-page book on Paul the missionary. No doubt he is one of the leading scholars today. I was telling my wife, he speaks 12 languages. Is that even possible? Schnabel does it. He's a leading expert on mission in the New Testament. And he writes this, I quote, The geographical scope of Paul's missionary work was not controlled by a grand strategy that helped him decide in which cities to begin new missionary initiative. The evidence indicates that Paul moved to geographically adjacent areas that were open for missionary work. This is true for provinces, regions, and cities. He's saying that they moved to places that were open. Or as Kevin DeYoung summarizes so well in his book, What is the Mission of the Church? He says, I quote, So where should we go to plant churches? The short answer is everywhere. But beyond that, we should simply look at where a church is needed and where we have an opportunity to go. Thus the reason that we as a church, what? We're to be faithful here, but we also send and support Church planting efforts, which include everything from what? Translation work of the Word of God. Language study. People that are in existing churches, building them up or making disciples. And we as a church right here, do you realize that? Send and support missionaries doing just that in Africa, Southeast Asia, the Middle East, and South America. You see, they are what? Both of these quotes are saying, go to where God points. Go to where God leads us. So I want to pick up where we left off, listening to the apostles' wisdom on how we are to strive to be faithful and effective as a local church that is gathered right here. Romans chapter 15, I'll pick it up in verse 25. We'll read down through verse 29. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were 
pleased to do it. And indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in their material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. The word of the Lord. Do you know what a, do you know what a, do you know what a bucket list is? It's, it's supposedly a list of things that you supposedly want to do before you die. And a lot of these, in all honesty, they're like, I want to jump out of a plane, and I want to sail around the Galapagos Islands. But a lot of them are pretty, like, gaggy and self-centered. I've heard ones like this, no joke. I want to swim with killer whales off the Alaskan coast before you die. Well, you'll be dying very shortly. <laughs> I want to wrestle with a lion club. This is, this, is, this is on the list right here. I want to watch the whirling dervishes in Istanbul. It's just kind of like, gag, you know, gag, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. So I want, I want to do this. I actually had a friend of mine, he, he, um, he, on his bucket list, he wants to peruse the perennials in Prague. He's a pastor, and of course he loves alliteration. His entire bucket list is alliterated. Pastors are kind of weird at some level. What's happening here is that there's a bucket list, a wish list of source that Paul wants to do before he dies. And it's listed here. Here it is. I, I want to go to Jerusalem. Then I want to go to Rome. And thirdly, I want to go on to Spain. And you can be assured here that this is not a gaggy, all-about-me bucket list. Paul is not on a vacation here. He is on mission. And you can be assured of this. He is not traveling first class. Okay, there's no soft pillows and drinks being served. No, no, no. This is what? This is through pain and peril. This is through storms and shipwrecks. Now, if you know anything, and I showed you a map you were fascinated with last week of the Mediterranean region. If you know anything about going from Corinth, which is in Greece, to Jerusalem, then on to Rome, you're actually what? You're going backwards. You're going the opposite direction first. You have to go east before you go west again. And we don't know. It's argued, was it a, a small coasting vessel that would just work its way along the coast or one of the larger Alexandrian grain ships that Paul generally traveled on? But both of them were dangerous. Both of them were slow. Neither offered anything by way of comforts or amenities. John R.W. Stott, an Anglican theologian and a noted leader of worldwide evangelical movement, did a little math, and he discovered this. I thought this was interesting for you math geeks that are here today. If Paul traveled by sea from Corinth to Jerusalem, okay, to take the aid that is needed there, his first leg was 800 miles. His second leg from Jerusalem to Rome was 1,500 miles, and his third leg from Rome to Spain would have been 700 miles. Math people, 3, 
thousand miles that he is intending to travel in a way that we would not travel today. I, I think this reveals something for us. It reveals the heart that he has as a missionary and it teaches us some great lessons. Lesson number one. Here it is. The gospel calls us to a ministry of what I call sacrificial compassion. Sacrificial compassion. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem. I'm bringing aid to the saints from Macedonia and Achaia, Achaia and have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among those, among the saints at Jerusalem. The situation in Jerusalem was tough. It had been a very, very difficult time for the early church there. If you recall, this is where the church, okay? Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit descends. This is where the church was birthed. And it has served as a wonderful model for us. Matter of fact, I'll be teaching later today in our membership class. What is it that this model from the first century church is? From this church in Jerusalem, it says in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. They sat under the preaching of the word. They were, they were committed to fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers, selling their possessions, giving to those that had need. They were faithful in praising God. This church was faithful in that, but there has been what? By this point, years, you could say decades, of severe persecution for the church that was in Jerusalem. What happens when the church is persecuted? We know nothing about that. But, but people could not gather like this. They were forced to what? Hide in small groups, go underground. And we know that what? People in hiding were unable to work. They were unable to provide for their families. And the needs were great. Basic necessities, like like physical needs like food and clothing and shelter they were all scarce to none ff bruce describes it as what quote a chronic poverty which seems to have afflicted the jerusalem church a chronic poverty thus the reason thus the urgency thus the willingness on the Apostle Paul's part to travel the opposite direction. He's collecting aid, collecting monies from this group to go out of his way to meet the needs, to have compassion and to show mercy on brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, is Paul concerned about the gospel going forward? Absolutely, we've seen that. But he also is fully aware about what? The importance of fully supporting and making sure that we have a healthy, sending church. This is where everything was birthed out of. Just, just pause for a moment. Do you ever sail out of your way for another person? Like, like we got to go there. Like, our week is set. Okay, our agendas are all set, our calendars are full. This is the week. 
and for some reason God has impressed a need upon you, have you ever sailed the opposite direction? No, we don't do that because I got a schedule to meet. That's really what we're talking about here. You ever go out of your way to help, to serve, or to give? What I have found is this. In my limited years of just, just having a front row seat into ministry life, into churches, people often are very quick to jump on board to help send and support monies that go overseas. As a matter of fact, you could even argue it's easier for us to just send something that goes overseas rather than us right here going out of our way for one another to show compassion to those that are close to you. This word bringing aid to the, to the saints is an interesting word here. Diaconia is the word. It's the same word that we get our word deacon at. We get our word deacon from. Think of what a deacon is. Deacon is a servant. So this phrase, bringing aid to the saints, refers to actions that have been associated with providing care. It says, often in a form of a humbling service or to take care of. So I was writing this week, I, I, and, I, and I got to this particular board. I couldn't help but just think of John chapter 13, where, where Jesus, if you remember, he, he stands up sitting with the disciples, and he takes a towel, he wraps it about himself, and he, and he gets down on his knees, and he begins to wash their feet. And, and he's doing this as an object lesson. This is a menial task. But, but then he, he says what? He says, you ought to also wash one another's feet. And let me, let me just say personally, I, I don't think this happens naturally. And I don't think we just on our own. I, I think that this desire to come alongside of, to care for, to offer aid to, I don't think that happens in and of our own self, in our own strength. I think it's spirit-led. I think it's spirit-born. On several occasions in my life, the Lord has led me to care. And, and please, I know you'll probably think less of me, but in my flesh, I didn't really care. And yet the Lord has, has something stirred deep within me. And I found myself at times even in tears. And I'm like, this is not me. I'm, I'm a selfish brat at many levels. I remember one particular occasion. I had been ministering to a particular family that was in great need. There was material need. There was physical needs within the family. There was, there was conflict within the home. I mean, you could just check the boxes. There was, there was marriage struggles. And I'd been sitting with them in their living room and praying with them and weeping with them and, 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 I, and I finished my job. And there was, there was still many needs that were left there. But I, I had done what I could do. And I got in the Jeep. I was, driving, I was driving home. It was late at night. I drove about two miles, got to a stop sign. I was to turn left to go home. And I 
wanted to go home. I went to see my wife. I went to tuck my kids in. And the Lord literally, I remember as clear, the Lord said, you got to turn around and go back. You got to turn around and go back. And in my mind, I'm like, no, no, this is not fair. I was just there. It's chaos. I prayed, blessed, and I, I just need to go. And the Lord made it very clear, you got to go back. And I remember I was not the happiest camper as I turned around in the middle of the road to go back. And as I got back, the husband, the shepherd of that home, was standing on his front porch in tears. And as I got out, he said, I knew you would come back. And we needed you. You know, that, that's like, that's real, the, the Holy Spirit, that's not me. That's why at some level there's something that's happening that is larger than us. I love how it's described here that the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased the word is used intentionally here to make some contribution here. You don't tell. It means to take pleasure in. They're pleased with it. It actually means that they, they, they delight in. It speaks about the fact that these people are excited. It is an exciting thrill for them that I can give. I am able to give. It's exciting for them. They're pleased that I get to. I get to Give. Didn't scripture teach that in Acts chapter 20? In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how himself he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That, that's, that's the word of God, from God himself. Self, reminding us it is far, far more blessed. There's far more joy, pleasure in giving than receiving. Second Corinthians chapter 9, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do you realize that every single time we sacrifice for the body of Christ right here, to meet the needs right here in our own body, within our own community, to care for those that are hurting, to send and support churches abroad. You realize that there should be a sense of great pleasure, of delight, even of joy. I get to do this as opposed to, oh, this is horribly painful. No, you get to invest into the eternal kingdom. I'm fascinated, though, is, is, is this. The Great Commission, we're all familiar with this, Matthew chapter 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So at some level, when we give, we have this view of all the nations, but I think we forget. If you recall the what? The commissioning in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that Luke records. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, what? Right here, in Jerusalem, and in, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Which means it has been designed to work to start here, right here. And then, 
it goes out there. People, you will never, ever, ever succeed out there until you begin to become proficient in allowing the Holy Spirit to joyfully allow you, let you to pour into the lives of those that are closest to you. Yes, the gospel continues to go forth, but you will not have a genuine, sincere care and concern for souls in other places until you begin to what? See your own neighbor as one who is hurting. See your own neighbor as one who is lost or poor or blinded in need of transforming help. Remember, it's an eternal investment over a temporal, fleeting kingdom that does not last. Matter of fact, what? It's, it, it's a mist. Here one moment, gone the next. So, so we are to start today. We start right here and we watch it. We watch what the Holy Spirit does as it expands outward. And I don't think it has to begin with something that is like earth-shatteringly difficult. Earth-shatteringly is actually not a word. But I don't think it has to begin with something like, whoa, we must start. I think actually it can, it can be quite simple, quite small. Thursday morning, it, it warmed my heart as, as your shepherd. Like, and I don't know how, like, it warmed was like, wow, wow, my heart is warm. I don't know how, what's that? Where'd that come from? I felt really, really cool inside, and I was proud of this body. Why? Because on Thursday morning, there was the adventures, the first kind of meeting of the adventures in motherhood class. And there was child care that was needed. And there was like a thousand kids back there. There was actually 14. But it seemed like, like they cover a lot of ground. Fourteen little ones. And I know the, 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 the call went out to the body. And, and so I got a chance and I, and I, and I poked my head in and I, I counted. There were teenagers there. There were young adults there. There was a father there. And there was a grandmother. All present. And watching like all this just buzz of ants like on a hill. Like they were just all there. They were, they were what? They were in a sense bringing aid. They weren't washing feet necessarily. But they were washing sticky fingers and faces. And changing diapers. They were at some level as it says in the word of God. Pleased to make some contribution. Praise God for that. My concern is this. Some of you don't know that joy. So some of you, and it doesn't necessarily have to be on a Thursday morning, understandable, but, but some of you don't know the joy and, and, and the, what, the pleasure that just wells up. Why? Because you're expecting other people to serve. And for some reason you just arrive here and like get your little belly full and then head out. That's not how the church of Jesus Christ works. That's not what we see anywhere here. God, God, has, God has called you to purpose. As a church we're called to be effective. I love how Piper says this. He says, um, John Piper says, God loves to refresh his people through his people. 
Isn't that beautiful? There's no greater example of sacrificial compassion than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Don't, don't we quickly raise our hand, hopefully, and say, yes, I'm a Christian. One like Christ. There's no greater example of sacrificial compassion anywhere. Luke chapter 19, it says that what, as Jesus ascends the hill to, to look over the city of Jerusalem, it says that he begins to, to weep. He just begins to, to, to overwhelmed with emotion of tears. And he's crying over the spiritual condition and the need as he, what, checks out the panoramic view. I wonder how much compassion you've had for your neighbor. How many tears have you shed for the lost that live in our own community? let alone in the rest of the world. Th think about sacrifice. Jesus, what, it's, it's sacrificial compassion. Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. It says in Isaiah chapter 53, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. I won't go into the details, but it's not a pretty picture that Christ is that willing to sacrifice that much and for some reason, we have a hard time coming up with 10%. We have a hard time committing to one faithful ministry. One faithful ministry. Why, why is that? At some level, is, is the Holy Spirit present in your life? Stirring. This is Spirit-born. This is Spirit-led. When you, when you live without any care or concern for others, I got my bucket list to fulfill. I got to go dance with the, the swirling whatever they are. Really? You're going to stand before God before you know it. And you're going to be like, yeah, I got eight out of ten things off my bucket list. That's why I'm with the killer whales. You're going to stand before, didn't we just sing, holy, holy, holy. God is a God of love, there's no doubt about it, but nowhere do we ever see that God is love, love, love. But we do see what? Say chapter 6, God is holy, 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 Lord God. You will stand before him, and you've been responsible to steward the tiny little bit of resources that he is entrusted in your care. This, this place should be on fire. We should not be able to drive close before there's a glow around it of the Holy Spirit being unleashed in your own life. So we are shining, shining beacon of the good news. The gospel calls us to a ministry of sacrificial compassion. Secondly, the gospel calls us to a life of shared blessing. It, do it doesn't end here. Sorry. I know, like, like, can we, like, wrap up? No, no, sorry. There's more here. They, uh, they were pleased to do it. Here's the word again. Second time it's used. 
Indeed, they, they owe it to them. If the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also be of service to them in their material blessings. I think it's interesting that twice this word, same word that is what you know, that is used to take pleasure in, to delight in. Why? Because I honestly believe that God at some level is concerned about you having a joy in your life. It just happens in a different way than you think it should. There's an expectation. It's an expectation that is noted here for a, a Christian to be sharing, for a Christian to be serving, is to be as natural for us as breathing is really what's being told. You see, what Paul is teaching us is this. We should give and we should show mercy to magnify the fruit of the gospel in our lives. So, so the gospel pouring in, the blessing of the gospel pouring in automatically flows out to be a blessing to the lives of other people. We show mercy to magnify the fruit, the evidence of the gospel in our lives. Remember, the gospel is all about life change. Transformed lives, transforming entire community. Just think about that for a moment. We were dead in sin, it tells us. And we become alive in Christ. It actually says that we were enemies of God and we become adopted sons and daughters of God. Through faith alone and the atoning work of Jesus Christ alone. That, that is, that's been a theme that we have seen throughout the book of Romans. Jesus Christ who willingly paid the price for your sin and for my sin on the cross. And he offers forgiveness from that sin and a victorious life through his resurrection from the dead. It means what? There's transformation. There was at one sense inborn sinfulness. And we still what? Have a sin nature. But there has been righteousness that has been imputed. What a great word. It's been impressed upon us. A natural selfishness. I just want to go home. And tuck my kids in. There's a natural selfishness that has been radically transformed into a spirit-led, spirit-given, spirit-born selflessness. And we see that right here in this text. Now let's just, just take a little, just a little bit, a little bit of a quiz, okay? Real short, pop quiz, real quick. Question number one, where is, where is the need, where is the help going? Where is it going? Well, it's, answer, Jerusalem. Okay, who lives in Jerusalem? Choose, primarily. Question number two, where is the aid coming from? Well, it's coming from, it says, answer, Macedonia and Caia. Well, who lives over there? They're the Gentiles. Well, question number three, what is happening here? What's happening here? Here's the answer. People who have seemed to master in art of bickering and fighting over who is more righteous than the other are what now willingly, joyfully, and sacrificially offering to share their blessings with someone else. 
question four in our quiz. Why, why is this happening? Answer, the spiritual blessings of the gospel have so radically changed people's lives that they want to share. They can't wait to share. They get to share their material blessings. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's the reason that Paul is writing this letter, remember, to the Roman church, who, if you recall, they've been struggling just a little bit between Jew and Gentile, bickering and fighting over who is more righteous. And what's happening here? Paul reveals something. He says in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Excuse me. Here it is. Here, here it is. It's the gladness of the Gentiles. The delights. It's a pleasure for them, for the Gentiles, in helping provide for those in need. So much so, it's such a pleasure. They actually use this phrase, we owe it to them. We're indebted to them. Because <coughs> they know, chronologically speaking, Romans chapter 4 speaks of this. The gospel message was first revealed to the Jews before it was to the Gentiles. <coughs> and he concludes with this. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now, Paul has lived his entire life in obedience. Forgive me. Oh, my goodness. <coughs> Paul has lived his whole life in obedience. And he was certain, he says, that he has been blessed. Now, the guy's been shipwrecked and beat and imprisoned. And he says, my life has been a blessing. Why? So I can be a blessing into your life. What has happened here? He understands the truth and, and the weight of the gospel. And it does three things very quickly. Number one, it gives us a concern for others. A legitimate concern for others. That we are to sacrifice for those that are in need. You wake up and for some reason you have someone's just face on your mind and you begin to pray for them. You understand the importance of, of giving sacrificially. It says that we're actually to, to give of our first fruits. So you bring it into the storehouse. And you do that, why? Because you're concerned about the work of the gospel going forward. And there's something that happens. It's not about you fulfilling your bucket list. Spirit-born concern. It also gives a joy in your heart. What is desperately lacking in people's lives today? What, what lacks? Why, why do people, why, why are people so nasty with one another? Why do they cut on and criticize and attack? Like, what's with, like, why aren't kids smiling any longer today? You see them. And there's a lack of joy. Here is the answer. Thirdly and finally, it gives us simply an awareness of Christ. And we see him. We see him as the ultimate example for us. Do you, do you see how the gospel could change the lives and attitudes of people in the first century? As well as he can change the lives and the attitudes of people in the 21st century. I close with this. How has the gospel impacted your life? <coughs> Some of you, I, 
I, I, I wonder, do you, have, you, have you even acknowledged, have you even taken a step of faith? <coughs> How has the gospel brought a blessing into your life? <coughs> I think the Lord's telling me I'm done. <coughs> May we understand. <coughs> May we understand the compassionate sacrifice of Christ in our own lives so we can reveal that into the lives of others. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this time that we've had in your word. Bless us as we continue to learn and grow. We strive to be faithful and effective for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Pastor Tim, I invite you now to stand with us as.